next-level understanding about the next-gen donors. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the Fundraising School, and I'm joined today by Sharna Goldsecker. Sharna is the co-author of the book Generation Impact, which has taken a deeper dive into our understanding of donors from the millennial generation. That book is now out in a second edition with practical how-to guides that frontline fundraisers can utilize to work effectively with these next-gen donors. Sharna, what a delight to meet you over Zoom after hearing so much about you in this book and your important work. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. It's great to be here. A previous podcast that is archived on the Fundraising School's website features your co-author, Dr. Michael Moody, who gave us a good overview of that second edition. And now we want to take a deeper dive. And for example, understanding these millennial donors as they're interacting with members of their families across generations. What do fundraisers need to know? Well, you may have already heard with Michael Moody that these stand to be the most significant donors in history. So we do want to pay attention to them. And of course, the needs are great. And we want to think about how to engage them. We're lucky that next-gen donors see themselves as part of the largest wealth transfer in history. Some 59 trillion is being transferred to the next generation. In the next 25 years, Gen X will have more resources under their control than any other generation in the US at the same time. But it's not any longer like a baton passing across the generations. We have five generations above the age of 21 in American society. And so when I started in the field a couple decades ago, it was about succession planning. An elder generation passed the baton and now we see these five generations fielding a team and playing the game together. And that happens in our multi-generational families where these next-gen donors are coming from. So they're often eager to have a seat at the table and to recognize that the needs are great in society and how can they start to make a difference with their families through their giving. And, and what do those family dynamics look like? And, and Sharna, one of the things I think about is when we hear about a family that starts a business and we wonder how the subsequent generations are going to handle that business, if at all, it might've been you know, mom or grandma's passion or dad or grandfather's passion, but it's not the passion of the next generations. What are you seeing in terms of the millennials as they're interacting with their ancestral generations, the older generations in their families, as we think about their philanthropic behaviors? Well, many people are relieved when we share the data that 89% of the next gen we interviewed said that they learned about the value of giving from their parents. 63% from their grandparents. So they may have some different values or ideas or experiences that they're bringing to the table, but they're really at the table because of the values that have been transmitted to them. So parents and grandparents out there, keep talking to your kids and keep modeling the spirit of giving for them. Um, I would also say though, uh, in reference to a family business succession or family philanthropy is the same, that the next generation has great respect for the people upon whose shoulders they stand. They really seem to appreciate the legacy that they come from, the sacrifices people made to help give them the opportunities they have. And they wanna carry on that legacy. They do say, as you intimated sometimes, that they wanna have a new chapter in that legacy. They wanna be part of the you know, intergenerational narrative that they come from. Very much their identity is based on where they come from, but they wanna bring their own experiences, values, ideas, um, to the table, and especially because the needs are evolving over time. Uh, and so how can they bring their own imprint to carry on that legacy of the family philanthropy in their own way, make an impact in their own way? 
Sharna, thank you for that comprehensive reply. And it's great to hear that there are these positive legacies from one generation to the next that are modeling and teaching philanthropic behavior. And then you also mentioned the distinctions, some different values, some, some different practices. So you kind of summarize there a different imprint. What are some of those distinctions then as the millennials learn philanthropic behaviors, the importance thereof from their ancestors, but now are doing some things differently? What are some of those distinctions? Right. Well, uh, they perceive their parents and grandparents to be motivated in their giving by um, pulling the heartstrings, right? Like they're interested in an organization or someone who runs it or a beneficiary, or maybe their friends told them to give to something. Maybe their advisors told them to give because of tax benefits. They are focused on impact first. They are focused on impact first. And so um, how do we as organizations, as nonprofits trying to engage the next generation or even families trying to engage the next generation in their philanthropy, really attend to next generation being motivated by impact and helping them see the impact that their resources can have on communities, culture, climate, all the things that we're trying to affect. And as we discussed with Michael, and just to put a bow on this before we talk about more of the second edition, it's our understanding too from your good work that uh, the millennial generation isn't just about formal nonprofit organizations as maybe their parents and grandparents have been, but also just on causes more broadly. Can you help elaborate on that, please? They really, yes, want to use all the tools in their toolbox bill to make change. You know, they have grant making dollars, but they don't want to just write checks. So you asked a minute ago, too, about what makes them distinct. They want to roll up their sleeves. They want to be hands on. And they believe, as one we interviewed, Daniel Laurie, based in the Bay Area, said to us, you can't keep doing the same things and we're expecting different results. You have to try some new things. So some of them have their private foundations or their donor advised funds, but some of them are setting up five C4s, which means you can't take a tax deduction, but still they're trying to affect policy change to advance their goals, or maybe even setting up an LLC to be able to fund for profits affecting social impact. Some are using their impact investing, their uh, endowed dollars, if you will, not just the 5% they're giving away, but then 95% invested in assets to make change. So using all the tools at their disposal. Uh, to, to address the causes they care about and what and, the world needs, yeah. And thanks to you and, and Michael Moody with the second edition of Generation Impact, you've created some tools for the toolbox to help fundraisers have mm. a greater impact. Uh, there are three different practical guides on how to implement the learnings from the book into our fundraising. You know, Sharna, can you give us a for instance about uh, you know, some of the content in these wonderful practical guides? Sure. Uh, thanks for asking. I mean, I, some of these may sound like I'm stating the obvious, but we heard from a lot of next-gen donors that they're treated as the children of so-and-so. So the first step would just be to treat them like the adults that they are. Many of them have been volunteering or giving since the age of 15. 75% of them volunteer before the age of, uh, starting at the age of 15. 50% of them start to give before the age of 21. So oftentimes when we meet them, they have many years of experience in the nonprofit sector. So maybe one, think about them as their own independent adults um, rather than just the children of so-and-so if you've been dealing with their families. Um, two, as uh, Emily Davis, a next-gen donor and fundraiser herself said, don't just think about them like ATMs where there's a transaction happening, but um, please start to cultivate relationships with them, especially if they're not waiting to their retirement to be 
philanthropic leisure, but really starting at early ages to give. Think about building a relationship early. Even if they're giving at lower amounts, you might be in relationship with them for decades to come. So don't just think about them like an ATM. Um, and then I would encourage to start with a values conversation rather than selling what you have for them to give to, start with who are you, what do you value, what do you care about in the world and try to find alignment with their values and the work you're doing. That will build a deeper, more fundamental connection. Great practical advice. And there's so much more of that in these guides that uh, go along with the second edition of Generation Impact. Sharna, one more topic I'd, I'd like to discuss with you, please. And that's this finding that you and Michael have that while the millennials who are donors are donors now and have philanthropic behavior now, they also see themselves on a journey of becoming even more philanthropic, becoming a donor. You know, that there's this ongoing lifelong learning and ongoing lifelong development in their philanthropic activities. What can we know about our millennial generation in that regard and how fundraisers can walk alongside them in appropriate ways on this journey? Thanks for lifting that up. They are starting young, and so they're figuring out who they are as adults and clarifying their philanthropic identities at the same time. Um, and even if they're not inheritors of wealth and philanthropy, they're earners, maybe they're new to having wealth and philanthropic discretionary dollars. And so they're also clarifying their philanthropic identity for the first time. So whether it's an earner or inheritor, you know, help people along that learning journey. Um, can you introduce them to nonprofit grantees, people on the ground who are able to express what they need? You know, we heard a lot of do young donors who we've interviewed said, I grew up in privilege or I now have, live in privilege Ooh. and I don't know what the needs are on the ground, right? And so how do we get more connected to the recipients to hear what they need? Don't be afraid to connect us and introduce us so it can better inform my giving. And so some people are really looking for site visits, looking for even if it requires um, domestic travel or international travel when that's available to go see um, a grantee and their space on the ground to get a feel for it. They're, they're up for that learning journey. And lastly, I would say to families and advisors and nonprofits, think about even setting aside a budget for that kind of a learning journey. Because if mm. you're not expecting the next gen to join your board until maybe they're 25 or 30 or so on, they've got 10 years to join a giving circle, to go to conferences, workshops, um, learn how to read budgets at financial literacy conferences, whatever it may be to prepare themselves. And sometimes it takes resources to help educate them to step into those imminent roles. So many wonderful findings for fundraisers and other nonprofit leaders to work with. What nonprofit doesn't want people who are interested in a site visit to learn more about our nonprofit, to come take a look? to learn more about our cause and, and our mission and the work that we're doing and certainly to become financial donors, but also to be thinking, how are there other ways I can help? I mean, th this is right in the strike zone of fundraisers and the approach that they take. And Sharna, I know that you are implementing this through your own nonprofit, the 2164 Foundation. Do I have that correctly? Tell us about your own work. Thank you. 2164 is a nonprofit consulting practice I started almost 20 years ago. Um, and so the idea was, as NextGen understood the wealth transfer was coming their way, they wanted to prepare themselves to step into their 
leadership responsibly. And so we work with donors on their education, clarifying their values, their vision, the mission, so that they're not overwhelmed by the literally 10 million nonprofits and NGOs around the globe, but really have some direction so that they can affect their resources in a clarified, responsible way. And then we started to work with families who wanted to engage the next generation, as well as trained professionals who are serving those individual and family donors along their journey. Sharna Goldsecker is the founder of 2164 and also the co-author of Generation Impact, which you can find anywhere that you purchase books, the second edition now out with these practical guides to help you implement uh, these breakthrough learnings on how we can best intersect and serve donors from the millennial generation. Of course, this information is imbued in our courses at the fundraising school. We have our public courses. They're in person. We're going to more and more cities now, uh, back to in-person learning. We, of course, will always have our online learning, both asynchronous, meaning recorded, uh, and synchronous, meaning in the virtual format. Uh, we also have custom training where we can design courses and bring them right to your nonprofit, to your nonprofit association, to your region throughout the United States, literally anywhere across the world. We have these podcasts and also quarterly webinars. The information is available on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. Thanks to our guests today, Sharna Goldsecker, our producers today, Mike Anthony and Jennifer Boffman. And right now, you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm -hmm.